Okay. Um, last month uh, was my 35th high school class reunion. Of course, I didn't go. I wasn't able to make it. But I, I went on the website and I looked at all the old people that were there. And you know, it's it's true. It's very true that uh, you know if there's a young if there's a friend that you had when you were much younger and you haven't you haven't seen him in a long time and then you see him and you realize. Man, he looks old. He looks so old. You don't realize how old you've, how, how much you've changed and how much you've aged until you see a friend from your youth. And I was looking at some of these guys, and man, they look really bad. They <laughs> look really bad. And I'm sure I, I'm sure I do too, um, as to what they remember me being. But I, I perused the pictures, and, and uh, um, I saw a picture that brought back a great memory. Uh, Gary Berry. I saw the picture of Gary Berry. He was an All-State defensive tackle on our football team and he brought back this great memory that I'll never forget. The scoreboard was was Helena 21, North Little Rock High School 17. Okay? And it wasn't supposed to be this way. We were the big city school. We were ranked number one. Uh, but we came in cocky. We thought we, all we had to do was show up and these farm boys would fold, right? Uh, but we were wrong. And uh, they played a, a great game and we were behind with 20 seconds left. And all the Helena quarterback had to do was take the snap and, and fall on his knee. That's all he had to do. And I can remember being in the defensive huddle. You know, we knew it was over. Probably the national, uh, not the national, but the state title was gone. And uh, we broke the huddle and we just didn't have much hope. Inexplicably, the Helena quarterback took the snap and he dropped the ball. He fumbled the ball. Gary Berry broke through. Uh, the offensive line, he scooped it up and he ran 35 yards for a touchdown. And we won the game. Final score, what? North Little Rock 23, Helena 21. It was awesome, man. I'll never forget that. I'll never, yes, Ruth. It's a true story. It's a true story, I promise. But I, I took. Yeah, it's going to be like the Titans, man. Remember the Wildcats. So, um, but I, I learned some really good life lessons from that. One is never show up unprepared. You know, never take your opponent lightly. And it ain't over till it's over. It ain't over till it's over. So keep plugging, keep uh, working, keep praying, and keep hoping. Uh, these lessons have served me well. Never to underestimate my opponent. And as Christians, we don't need to underestimate our opponent, but we also don't need to be preoccupied with our opponent. Always work hard, always be prepared, be confident, but don't be what? Overconfident. Don't be uh, cocky as, uh, as he said back there, Scott said. We're having trouble this, with, with names, with names tonight. So never quit, it ain't over till it's over. It ain't over till it's over. Sometimes in life you need a miracle, and guess what? Sometimes in life what? You get one. Sometimes you get one. Sometimes it's exactly what you get. So the 1973 North Little Rock football Wildcats were 11-1, and, and we did win uh, the state championship. And I don't want to brag, but we did win, also win the, the baseball state championship that year. And uh, the reason I'm telling you all this is because I know what it feels like to be a champion. Some of you may have never had that, the privilege to feel that. I, I've experienced it. I, we used to pretty much beat everybody we played. 
And we had this kind of aura of invincibility. People didn't really want to play us. And it felt good. I can't tell you. It just felt good being a champion. It felt good being ranked number one. It felt good walking off that field at the end of the season and you knew you're the best one, you're the best team in the state. It felt good. We were winners. We were victors. We were conquerors. We're going to talk about a text, uh, a couple of texts tonight where the Lord God uses that word. Yes, we were stupid and arrogant and cocky. That was our sin. But God had blessed our school with a lot of talent. And uh, we were champions. It's an awesome, awesome feeling. And God is going to say to us tonight that if we are in Christ, this is who we are. We are champions in Christ. We are winners in Christ. Uh, we are conquerors in Christ. And I want, us to, I want us to walk away knowing that tonight. We are victors in the Lord. You know the famous, you know the famous, uh, the famous verse in Romans 8.37. God says, My people, what? Overwhelmingly conquer. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Greek there in a few minutes. But we overwhelmingly conquer. We don't just get by in overtime at a, with a buzzer shot. We overwhelmingly conquer in Christ. And a couple more translations. That was the NAS. One translation says we are more than conquerors. Another one says we, overwhel we have overwhelming victory. We are complete victors. We have full victory. This is the various translations of the Greek there. So in Christ we are overwhelming conquerors. And God means for us to live like that. And oh, guess what? God means for us to feel that. In that very superficial way, I used to feel it walking off the athletic field. God means for us to feel it in our souls and in our spiritual life. We are overwhelmingly conquering. That's what we're called to in Christ. And I, I don't want to misunderstand. I think you guys have heard me preach long enough. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about that junk. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. We are overwhelming conquerors. There's a great episode in Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have read the book Pilgrim's Progress? Okay. Uh, there's a great episode in Christian's life. And Christian and Hopeful, they encounter the giant of despair. Do you know the story? They encounter the giant of despair and the giant of despair captures them and he puts them in uh, the, the dungeon. Okay? In, in Doubting Castle. It's Doubting Castle. The Doubting Castle dungeon. In fact, Christian says it's a stinking hole and he's there in the dark and he's not getting fed and this, this stupid giant would come in and just beat him with a stick on a regular basis. And, and Christian and Hopeful were contemplating suicide and they knew that this was not biblical so they weren't going to do that. And one day, Christian, they'd been, they'd been there several days and one day Christian goes, what a fool I've been. I've got the key right here in my bosom. You guys know this? You remember this account? I've got the key right here. And guess what the key's called? The promise of God. And guess what? It opens every locked door in Doubting, Ca in Doubting Castle. I love this story. This is beautiful. I mean, the, the metaphor here is awesome. He had the key the whole time. All he had to do was what? Use it. All he had to do was pull it out and use it. Because the key called the promise of God unlocked every door, unlocked every lock, in Doubting Castle, we are overwhelmingly conquerors 
in the spiritual realm. And that's one of the things that God is going to say to us tonight. And you heard Sam read the text. We are overcomers by what? Does anyone remember? We overcome by what? Anybody remember what the text said? By what? By our faith. We overcome by our faith. So let me ask you, friend. Are you doubting? Are you in despair about something? Are you, do you have anxiety and frustration and fear? Uh, what I want to challenge you to do tonight is, is to pull your key out. If you're a Christian tonight, to pull your key out. It's called the promise of God. And to use that key because it unlocks every door in Doubting Castle. Every single door. God says, my children conquer by what? Faith. Not some vacuous religious faith, but faith we overcome by faith in an overcoming God. He is unstoppable. He is untamable. He is uncontainable. Indescribable God. You know, Paul got that. He was, he was beaten and whipped and stoned. Uh, he suffered great deprivation uh, many, many times. But he was what? He was never defeated. You see him over and over again. He gets stoned to death. You know, he goes up into the third heaven. You know, Lord sends him back. He gets up and he walks to Lystra. Or wherever he went. I forget. But he was never defeated. He was always overcoming. He was always conquering the adversary. Even if he had to take a few licks, he was always overcoming the adversary. Paul knew this. He was always pulling out his key. The promise of God. I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that. You have the key. In every fear you face, you have the key. If you're a Christian tonight, you have it. You just need to pull it out and use it. You just need to pull it out and use it. You remember what Paul said over in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, I run the race and I hope I can finish. Is that what he says? I just hope I finish. I hope I, hope I make it. I hope I can get to the finish line. I just run the race, you know... I'm just an average guy running the race with average effort. What does Paul say? He says, I run the Christian race to what? Anybody know? To win. Let me ask you, friend. <laughs> Is that how it is with you? Is that how it is with you and Jesus? Are you running to win? Are you just hanging back in the pack? Just want to be an average Christian? Don't want to get out there, stick your neck out too far, take any risks? Let me ask you, are you, are you running to win? Listen, friend, if you understand what you have, the key that you hold, the power you have in Christ, if you understand about that, you won't be running in the pack. You will be out front. You'll be running to win. You will be using the key called the promise of God. And I want to challenge you tonight. You're overcomers. This is what God says about His kids. My kids are overcomers. They're overcomers. They really believe. They really obey. They really love. They really live until they come home to see me. They don't live small, manageable lives where they try to protect themselves. They live big. They live by faith. They live by that key that I've given them, that key called the promise of God. Let's look at the text. Let's look at the text. 1 John 5, 1 and 2. Some of you will remember, we've already looked at verses 1 and 2, but I just, just for context and flow, I want to look at them again. Uh, 
you know, a couple weeks, a couple months, well, probably about a month now, we looked at, uh, when we looked at all the passages that, that talked about loving the brethren, we pulled chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 up into that, but let's just hit them real briefly. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we have love, that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. This is really, this verse 1 and 2 here of chapter 5, it's just a summary of what we've been talking about throughout the whole book. This is what real Christians look like. Right here in, the, in, these, in these verses. So what do we find? What, what does a real Christian look like? What does an overcomer look like? They believe. They really believe. Verse 1. They really believe. They believe this about Christ. They believe it. They believe He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. They believe it. Look at verse 2. They obey. They obey. We love God and observe His commandments. And then uh, back up in verse 1 again. They love. They love. They love God and they love the brethren. This is biblical, true, genuine, saving faith. It's what we've been talking about for the duration of this study. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, I've said it to you a hundred times, God de, uh, defines faith. Now how does God define faith in Hebrews 11.1? 1? Somebody show me your, memory, your Bible verse memory skills. That's it, buddy. Assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So God defines it right there in verse 1 and then bam, the rest of the chapter is, oh, so some religious person can't dumb it down for you and turn it into mental ascent and church attendance and religious activity. Here's what it really looks like. This is what it looks like. That's what the whole chapter is about. God says, oh, let me define it for you and then I'm going to give you an avalanche of pictures so you don't get deceived. Real faith lives. It lives. It lives a faith-filled life. Overcomers look like guys building arcs when it's never rained before, right? Overcomers are guys like that, that leave for a foreign country not knowing, not knowing where they're going. Uh, overcomers are barren women long past childbearing age conceiving. Okay? Overcomers forsake the riches of the world to cast their lot with the people of God. Overcomers engage the enemy even though they're outnumbered 450 to 1. And overcomers step in front of giants and kill them. This is Christianity. That's what this is. It's overcoming faith. We are overcoming conquerors in Christ. We're not meant to be mediocre. We're not meant to hang back. We're not meant to, to sit down where it's comfortable. We are meant to be warriors. We are meant to be winners. We are meant to be conquerors. We are meant to be soldiers in this war. Let me ask you, Christian brother and sister, are you in the war? Are you in the war? Let me tell you something. If you're in the war, you will conquer. You will conquer by the power of Jesus Christ. Real faith lives a life of real faith. Okay? I think I've hammered that enough. R.C. Sproul is a great teacher and theologian in the States, author. 
Um, he has a great quote. I've, I've always loved it. Uh, I, I read this a long time ago and I've never forgotten. He says, your average professing Christian lives like a theoretical theist. You know, we profess something with our mouth, but we never actually put it into practice. So it's all theoretical. And he says, he goes on and he says, uh, by and large, they are indistinguishable from an atheist. And he calls it practical atheism. He says most of Christendom, those who claim to be uh, Christians, actually live a kind of practical atheism because they never really claim a promise and they never really step out and believe. They never believe they're called to be conquerors and soldiers and that they're supposed to win this, run this race to win. Not just to hang back in the pack. I love that quote. I think it's very accurate. Too many people who call themselves Christians are merely theoretical theists, but they live like practical atheists. God does not inform the way they live, the way they think, the way they prosecute their marriage, the way they raise their kids, the way they, they give their money. God doesn't inform any of this. This overcoming God doesn't inform any of this. Let me tell you, friends, if God doesn't inform any of those things, you've got serious problems. You may be on a church roll somewhere, But that's not Christianity. And I know I've made myself clear on that. Look at verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Uh, notice that John says something here. He's been talking about it over and over again. Christianity is obeying the commandments of God. It's obeying the commandments of God. It's obeying the commandments of God. This is what, again, let me interject. We're not talking about perfectionism. None of us ever become sinless. Okay, let's just have that caveat in there. We know that that's not what John is teaching, but it's the motivation and, and burning desire of the Christian's heart to keep the commandments of God. And I love what he says here. Oh, they're not burdensome. Let me ask you, have you found God's commandments to be burdensome? John says they're not. John says the Lord's commandments are not burdensome. And, and the Greek construction here, there's this aspect. It's not only that we do it, but we love it. Okay? It's not that we just do something perfunctory because God says it. We do it because we have regard. We have regard for His Word. We have regard for Him. We love Him. We don't just become uh, robots who do what, uh, you know, that follows our, our spiritual software. It's not about that. It's all about a heart that's beating hard and fast for God. That's what it's about. So we have. Uh, we have this love for His Word and this love for Him. I love what MacArthur, John MacArthur says about this. Listen to this quote. It's wrong to disobey God. Everybody agree? Everybody agrees. Okay. It's wrong to disobey God. But it's also wrong to merely obey Him in an external, unwilling, partial, inconsistent, and grudging way. Anybody agree with that? Amen. All right. I think he's right. I think he's right. It's not just wrong to obey Him. It's wrong to obey Him in some brain-dead, perfunctory, religious performance kind of way. I think it's a stench in His nostrils. John says, the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. He said, we have become obedient from what? The heart. We've become obedient from the heart. We are committed to the Word of God. We have become slaves of... Does anybody remember? Slaves of what? 
religious dogma. Slaves of righteousness. Slaves of righteousness. It's because of the God work that God has done in our hearts. We've talked about this over and over and over again. And we can use Paul's word in Romans chapter 1 when he starts to write that awesome epistle, uh, that awesome letter. What does he say? I am a what of Christ? Anybody remember? I'm a bondservant. What's a bondservant? Voluntary slave. Let me ask you, Christian friend, is that how you see your, your relationship with Christ? Have you given yourself wholly over to Him? Are you a, a, a slave that happily serves Him? You've sold yourself into slavery for Him? John says, listen, the commands of God are not burdensome for the real Christian because we love Him. We happily give ourselves as a slave to this beautiful and awesome God. You remember what John says back over in chapter 2? He says, we no longer love the things of the world. We don't love the world and the things of the world. We don't give ourselves to the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. doesn't mean we don't fall and we don't struggle at times, but preeminently we lust after who? We have a, we have a, a holy lust. We lust after Jesus. And I've said this to you many times, and it's kind of a shock when people hear it for the first time. Yes, I'm telling you to lust. You were made to lust. You were built to lust. You were built to lust for God. This is why... Uh, the commandments of God are not burdensome for the born-again believer. This is why we love Him. We're in relationship with Him. He's really our Father. The psalmist gives voice to this. You know the psalmist, Psalm 42, My soul pants and thirsts for Thee, O God. Psalm 63, My soul, my flesh yearns for Thee. I always love Psalm 73, And besides Thee I desire nothing on the earth. Don't you love that? Let me ask you, is that how it is with you? <laughs> God says, that's how it is with my kids. That's how it is with my kids. It's the fruit of an unregenerate heart. God has given us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. We talked about 2 Corinthians 4, 6 a couple of weeks ago. By His creative power, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And everything's different. Everything's different for us. His commandments are not burdensome. Uh, so we, we have regard for Him. We have regard for His Word. Uh, I opened the, the, the service with Psalm, some excerpts from Psalm 19. Let me just read a couple of more. The psalmist says, I rejoice in the way of Thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I delight in Thy statutes. Thy testimonies are my delight. Oh, how I love Thy law. Thy statutes are my songs. How sweet are Thy words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Verse 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. We love Him. That's what true Christianity looks like. That's what it looks like. Verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And that is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There's a great word. I think you guys, I don't know, it was fun for me. You may not like it, but you know, I have a simple life, simple pleasures. But I got really excited about this. There, there's a word that appears, there's a Greek word that appears four times in, in these two verses. And the Greek word is translated overcome three times and victory one time. Okay? 
So we see it in, we, we're going to see it both in the verb form and in the noun form. And some of you may actually be wearing this word right now on your person. It's the most, it's the most uh, recognizable athletic logo on the planet. Can anybody guess what this word might be? Anyone? Nike. Nike, actually. Nike. And there's a cool thing here for us to pick up, I think. The Greeks actually had a goddess, and her name was, was Nike. And she gave victory. And, and the concept, the Greek concept of, of victory was, you know, man can win a battle here or there. He can win a skirmish here or there. But only the gods win forever. Only the gods win eternally. Only the gods win finally. And that's what the, the ancient Greek concept here, that's what's in the, the head of John as he uses this word, no doubt, as the Holy Spirit directs him to use this word. Do you understand the significance of what he's saying when he says, you're to be an overcomer, ultimately and finally and forever? I love this. I think this is great. So only the gods were uh, supreme overcomers. Nikael. Only the gods got ultimate victory. Nike. Those are the two words in the text. And it's got to be a shock to first century Christians reading this. Right? They know what Nike means. They know they're Greek. But wait a minute. You know, the, the rest of the world's got to be in shock. Wait a minute. Anybody else that would read this, these guys are worshiping uh, a crucified carpenter from Nazareth. This is a joke. Nike? Nike for these guys? No. It's a joke. The power elite must have laughed their heads off. <laughs> God says, My children are overcomers. My children are Nike. They are ultimate victors. They will get the ultimate victory. They are conquerors. They conquer overwhelmingly. I love this text. <laughs> I got so excited studying it this week. We are unconquerable. And you go back to that Romans 8 text that I quoted to you earlier. Paul uses the same, way, the same word when he says overwhelmingly conquer. He uses Nike. He just puts hyper in front of it. He says we are hyper Nike. He just uses a compound word. We are hyper Nike. We are unconquerable in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, friend. Let me just stop and ask you. Are you laying in a stinking dungeon oppressed by your fears and in despair? Are you living in Doubting Castle? Friend, God doesn't mean for you to live there. You're supposed to remember the key you have. And what is the key you have? What's it called? Someone tell me. The promise of God. Guess what? He means for you to live that. He means for you to live it. I don't know what your giant is in your life, but God means for you to take your key and get out of that stinking dungeon. You are overwhelmingly conquerors in the power of Christ. You are Nike. You are victors by the power of Christ. What was the Nike slogan a couple years ago? Anybody remember? I don't think they still use it. Huh? Just do it. Is that perfect? Is that not perfect for you? Is that not perfect for me? Just do the Word. Just do it. 
What are you waiting for? You've got the key in your bosom. It's called the promise of God. Use it. I love oh, How can you not love the gospel? <laughs> I don't know what your fear is. Use it. Bring it to the Lord. Use the key He's given you. Use the promise He's given you. That you will overcome in Him and by His power. Just do it. Just do it. As I studied uh, this encouraging truth this week, <laughs> uh, I was thinking about giants and keys and Doubting Castle and dungeons and stuff. And my mind kept running back to this little boy that stepped in front of a giant. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? He just did it. Now he pulled out his key of promise, the, called the promise of God. You remember Saul said, you don't need to fight this guy. You're just a punk kid. This giant, he, he's a 10-foot armor-plated veteran warrior. His spear weighs more than you. What did David say? It ain't about me being a kid. What did he say? It's about my God being God. He said, my God has delivered me from the lion and my God has delivered me from the bear. He will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. He just took out his key, the promise, the key called the promise of God, and he used it. And this little boy, you know the story, he slayed the giant. And I went back and I reread uh, part of 1 Samuel 17, and, and, I, and it jumped off the page at me what, uh, what it was that helped David here. Uh, two reasons that, that he was able to do this one was faith, and one was love. And his faith was in God as I just shared with you. His faith was in an overcoming God. God will deliver me from this giant. He had faith. But the second thing was he had a zeal and a love for God. You remember, he was just indignant that this Philistine was standing out there taunting the armies of God. He says, who is this guy that should taunt the armies of God? And David was just indignant. And who are you? You soldiers over here cowering. Pull out your key called the promise of God. And go to war. <laughs> Don't you love it? Don't you love it? His heart was fueled and it was a flame. It was fueled by faith and a flame with love. And David had learned God correctly. It doesn't matter if it looks like a fair fight. God will show up and God is faithful. God is faithful. God's promise is good. And David stepped in front of this giant and he had this raging love for God. And you may remember I shared this with you and I was so moved by it as I, as I studied this text last fall. We talked a little bit about David. But not only did David have a raging love for God, oh, God had a raging love for him. And God never leaves His children standing in front of a giant alone. Never. Do you know this, Christian friend? God never leaves His kids standing alone in front of a giant. He always comes. Christians are Nike, they're ultimate vic victors. Christians are Nikea, we are supreme overcomers. We just do it. What, is it, what does the text say? Uh, verse 4, by our faith. Our God is not impotent and frustrated and theoretical and mythical. Our God's real and our God shows up. And our God delivers His people. The problem many times in the modern church is we don't ever believe. We won't ever, you know, as I, I remember Keith Green, uh, you guys may not remember him, but uh, read a 
uh, track from him one time that never left my mind. He says, your average modern Christian will not risk a pin or a ribbon for the gospel of Christ. Are you out there risking for the cause of Jesus? You're supposed to be. Because you're overcomers. You're overcomers. You have the victory. doesn't matter what circumstance looks like. You have the ultimate victory. You're Nikkei. You're Nikkei. So, friend, I don't know what your giant is, but bring, bring your giant. Bring, bring it to the Lord. Do battle and expect victory. Face your giants. You have the key called the promise of God. The uncontainable, untamable, indescribable, infinitely faithful, good, awesome God. I like to say this as often as I can work it in. <laughs> He's a warrior. He's a warrior. He's our warrior shepherd. And friends, He's just saying, come on with me. <laughs> it's not like He's putting us out there, on the, out there in front he says, you just come with me. You just follow me. Listen, friends, I want you to be, I want you to leave here tonight. Think about whatever it is in your life that you allow to, uh, to intimidate you, whatever you think, whatever your fears are, whatever your anxieties are. God's called us to be Nike. We are overcomers. Bring it before the Lord. He will help you slay your giant. Let's pray together. Lord God, uh, I have confession to make. Maybe some others here do as well. Not always live like an overcomer. Many times I've listened to the adversary. Many times I've shrunk back. Many times I've done what is prudent in the eyes of the world when You have clearly called me to do otherwise. I pray Your forgiveness, beautiful Lord. Forgive us when we don't believe You. Forgive us when we don't claim the promise that we have. The myriad promises that we have. Forgive us, Lord God, that we don't even, in the, in the crisis, we don't even think about pulling out the key called the promises of God and using it. We just allow ourselves to be assaulted and intimidated in the world and by the adversary. Forgive us, Lord. We know You've called us to something much grander than that. You've called us to live real faith. Risk-taking faith. Self-forgetting faith. Self-sacrificial faith. A faith that makes the world stand up and take notice. And they read the glory of Christ off our life. They read the glory of Christ from our church. We don't live Christianity small. We don't live it in a box. We believe what you say. You say we're overcomers. By our faith in an overcoming God. Lord God, I pray that You'll grant each one of us a new, a new glimpse of You and Your Majesty. 
that we might live larger than we've ever lived before. We might walk out of here tonight thinking that we're going to live, we're going to really live faith. We're going to take the next step. Whatever the next step is, there's always a next step for us. You're always taking, your to, taking us to a higher place. Whatever the next step is, we're going to take it. And we're going to cast down that fear, that anxiety, that thing that intimidates us. We're going to cast it down by the promise of God. By the power of Jesus, we overwhelmingly conquer. We overwhelmingly conquer. Praise You great God for who You are and these awesome promises You give us. Grant that we might have the courage and faith to walk in them. We praise You, beautiful Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. You guys know how we do the Lord's Supper here. Uh, Adam's going to play. And prepare your hearts. And, and uh, when you're ready, come up and take the bread and take the cup and go back to your seat and be quiet. And, and at, when Adam stops, I'll get up and read a text and then we'll partake of the elements, okay?